We welcome you to the Romantic Truth Podcast. The content of this podcast is intended for an adult audience due to the nature of sensitive subject matter and topics. Share the experience of Romantic Truth with friends on Google, CastBox, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Radio Public, Breakers, Apple, or any other podcast platform. Just type in Romantic Truth in the search and subscribe. Now, here is the host of Romantic Truth, Jowson. Hi everyone, Jocelyn here with you, Romantic Truth in Las Vegas. It's January 29th, 2022. And I can't believe, you know, January is always considered the longest month of the year for some reason. But it seems like uh, this month went pretty quickly this year. I don't know why. Maybe I'm getting older. Haven't figured it out yet. But um, also, folks, I want you to definitely tune in for the Valentine's Day show next month. Because we're going to talk about the dynamics of Valentine's, what it means. And we're going to break down a few things when it comes down to the retail side of it. In comparison to what it really does for couples, for the most part. We don't think about it a lot of times, but it has a significance and it does have an insignificance as well. All right. Um... Let's go on here, and I'm going to read an email from Michelle out of Canton, Ohio. I'm 27. I've listened to your show recently. I've turned my girlfriends and friends on it. So you have listeners in Wisconsin, Ohio, Indiana, and Michigan now. You can thank me later, LOL. What you say makes a lot of sense, and I really appreciate your show. Here's what I'm faced with now. I'm faced with a serious dilemma. There are three guys that are interested in me. I like all three. They all are about average on everything as far as income, as far as personality. However, I can't honestly make a decision on which one to choose. I've gone out with all three of them, but now it's at a point where things are heating up a bit. I went on a date with the third guy last night And I almost pulled my panties off for him. If it wasn't for my social consciousness and awareness of who I am as a person, I would have definitely slept with him, without a doubt. It was something about him that the other two guys didn't have. Now, I'm not going to base my choice on that because, true enough, the other two guys didn't get as close as we did last night. The other two men have been very respectful and have been full gentlemen to me. So I appreciate that from them. However, this guy for some reason is more charismatic. He doesn't have a job. He admitted that right up front. He got over COVID a few months ago. He got his shots. And I feel as though more than likely he and I would be more of a kindred spirit when it comes down to a relationships. She has here kindred spirit, not kindred spirit. Anyway, what I would like to have your opinion on is whether or not I should weigh them equally or give this guy preference over the other two. I'm liking him, but in the past, the guy that I usually like wound up being a jerk that I chose. I've been through jerks so many times in my life that 
I'm almost at a point where I'm afraid to even make a decision for myself. Now, I know I'm not asking you to make a decision for me because you made it abundantly clear on your podcast that you don't make life choices for people. It's up to them to make the choice. It's up for us to do the work. I get it. I fully agree there. But the one thing that concerns me the most is right now, I can't afford any financial setbacks. I just got on my feet myself, repaired my credit. My ex-boyfriend really screwed me up. And I did many of the things you told many of the women not to do. If I had listened to you earlier, I would have never co-signed for a car that got repossessed. I would have never signed up for an apartment that eventually we got evicted out of because he couldn't pay his half of the rent. And now I'm at a point where I'm really kind of shaken. Any advice would be something that would be appropriate, I guess. I would help. She's got here. Wait a minute. She got here. I would help if anything, I guess she meant to say hope, if anything you could tell me would really resolve the problem or help me resolve it. Much appreciated. Michelle, Canton, Ohio. All right, Michelle, uh, here's what I would say to you, my dear. I would say, first of all, you're following your emotions with this guy. You had an emotional attraction to him, and that's the reason why he's favored right now. Even though you don't want to admit it, he is. If he almost had your panties off last night, there's a good possibility that if that was the first date, uh, yeah, he was talking some powerful stuff to you, or there was something that hit you that you really liked about it. This is how you've made your past mistakes more than likely. You've gone off of instinct on first appearances, on initial presentation. Now, I would venture to say that you probably have slept with people on the first date before. This is not to demean you. This is not to bring you down in any kind of way. But it seems to me that you're a little bit too enthusiastic when you first meet someone. And you want to kind of seal the deal with them. You need to slow down. That's what I would do. The first thing I would do if I were you is slow down. And look at what you're getting into. Find out more about him. Okay, you know he's unemployed. You, and I'm just making this assessment from what you've written. You seem to be a person that's a fixer. You in some way have to rehabilitate men. That empowers you. That makes you feel better about yourself. To say, hey, I did that. Now, I don't know if you're one of these type of people that after you fix someone, you remind them of how you took care of them and fed them, clothed them, got cars for them and that kind of thing. But here's the thing that I would fear for you. I think you're setting yourself up to be a martyr. I think you're setting yourself up to have this history of victimhood follow you. This is something you really need to look at. That's nothing to be proud of. Because... When a man hears a woman talk about how people have dogged him out and used them, the first thing he thinks is, first of all, she's gullible. Second of all, she more than likely gaslights herself in relationships, meaning that you'll lie to yourself in order to stay in a bad relationship. So that works to the advantage of a predator. That works to the disadvantage for a guy who's confident looking for a good woman. Because what that means is that you would be a vulnerability. That element of your personality 
would be a weakness that he would have to monitor because another guy could easily come in and manipulate you out of the relationship. I don't know if you ever cheated before, but that's a backdoor you probably need to check for yourself. Now, another thing too, what's the benefit of you fixing this guy up? What do you get out of it besides a handsome guy? You got to ask yourself that question. Are you living vicariously through his handsomeness? In other words, is it a situation just like the guy with the trophy wife where you have to have somebody on your arm that other women would want and admire and desire? See, an old thing that was always taught to me was if other women are not attracted to you, that means that you're not attractive to women. That's what a female friend of mine told me. And I asked her, what did you mean by that? She said, if you notice, when you wind up in relationships, there are more women attracted to you than when you're single. And there was a lot of validity to that. And I noticed that. And one thing that I will tell you is this. I think what you're trying to do is to heighten your own personal self-worth through him. So guys may see you with him and they may think, oh, he must have money. And of course, you're dialing yourself up to meet that particular standard. So the question is, are you using him to find a better opportunity? Or is it that you really, really care about this guy and you want to love him and you want him to love you, but is it contingent on you having to fix him? That's what you have to ask yourself. Because if it is, you got a problem. And you probably need to talk to a therapist about it. Now, there could have been something traumatic in your past where you've dealt with people that were needy, dependent, or in some way they were downtrodden and you wanted to help them up. Are you a coach in a relationship? And what I mean by that is a person that gets a thrill out of making someone better and then taking pride in doing it. A lot of altruism there. Some people have that motivation. And that's the reason why they get in relationships in general. I don't recommend that because that's unhealthy too. Because then you enable that person actually to do nothing so that you have to do everything. Now, you'll burn yourself out with this too over time. People don't tell you this, but you will. Guys are definitely not going to tell you because if you're doing all the work, he's not going to say a damn thing. He's going to enjoy the ride. The other two guys, apparently, you want to be fair. But let's face a few realities here. If these guys had impacted you in that way, guess what you would not have done? You would not have keyed on this one guy. So apparently this guy is the lead in your decision to be with someone. Again, you have to question, why is he the lead besides all of the bells and whistles? At the core values, what do you need out of him that he could provide that the other two cannot? That's what you have to think about. He has to be more than pretty pretty looks and dick, I'm telling you. Because you said he doesn't have any money, he doesn't have a job. So you really have to assess what you're getting into and what you're dealing with. Now, I know you don't want to make the harsh judgment, 
But I'm willing to bet you, out of the three, he's the one in the worst condition, and that's why you chose him. The other two, I bet you have jobs. They're independent. This guy right here needs you. And so therefore, you feel as though him needing you means that there's a good chance that you're going to have loyalty, that you're going to have somebody that's not going to cheat on you, that you're going to have somebody that you could depend on, that you'll have somebody that's loyal and that owes you. You need to quit thinking that way. These are the type of people that you usually wind up with that use you. Because once they see that characteristic in your personality, a lot of predators take advantage of that. When I say predators, I'm not talking about to catch a predator or nothing like that. I'm talking about people who actually get into relationships to use people. And this is what I think is happening here. It just seems to me that the way things are structured from what you described, you're setting yourself up for failure. And I think the reason why you're doing this is because you're accustomed to failing. You're accustomed to losing. Because if you really look at it, I guarantee you there are same characteristics in this guy that was in your ex. And guess what? You're going down that same familiar road. And the reason why you're doing it is because you're familiar with this type of pattern. Those other two guys would be a challenge to you because they're different. And you'd have to learn something new. And you don't want to do the work in that. You're familiar with this because you could better manage this and you feel as though you're in control. Even though you already know going in that you're going to lose. It's a sad state of affairs. The worst thing in the world to do is to be on a, a team and you already know the odds are against you and the morale is low on that team and you go into the game thinking you were going to fail. This is the way you are right now. Your morale is very low. Your self-esteem is very low. And you're sticking with this because it's something that you're familiar with. Think it through. It's up to you to make the decision. You got to weigh what really is important to you versus what you're familiar with. They could be in conflict with each other. And this guy could wind up breaking your heart and treating you just like your ex. Best of luck to you, my dear. All right. Naomi writes the following out of Houston, Texas. I met this guy at the bar. He seemed to be pretty nice, very clean, very pleasant, great conversationalist. We had deep conversations about philosophy, about politics, about religion, and I really like him. However, he did reveal a problem that he currently is dealing with. He's dealing with a custody battle with his first wife over their child. In his second situation, He's dealing with a divorce from his second wife. He's been married twice. He's getting ready to end the second marriage. But she feels so entitled to everything, at least according to his opinion. And his income is going to be cut immensely. He doesn't have any children with the second wife. And I'm 23 years old. He's 47. And I'm just wondering... Would this be a good bet for me to go with him? We exchanged phone numbers. 
He's going to pick me up this weekend and we're going to go out and have dinner. We're going to have our first official date. And I'm just wondering, at what point should I bring this up about his marital situation? Because right now, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with it and I am not sleeping with a man that's married. That is one of my deal breakers. I really shouldn't be talking to him and I haven't told my family or friends because I would get a lot of ridicule because they are moralist. What say you? Naomi, what I would tell you is this. It's good that you're keeping your standards and your boundaries. Keep doing that. However, in this situation, you need a little bit more clarity on a few things. First, on the custody thing. That's what I would want to find out first. Because here is the problem with that. He's more than likely paying child support. There's a potential of the wife taking him back to court at any time. That's just there. Whether it's because he's slow on payments, missing payments, whether he's missing visitation time, where she gets more money for the time that he did not pick up the kids. Let's say, for for instance, last year, if he was supposed to have 160 days of visitation with the child, And he only made 100 of those days. And 60 of those days were missed. What she can do then is go back to court and have the child support adjusted to cover those 60 days that she had to cover that child. Which means he would have to pay more. That's the first thing I would look at. With this other divorce, you want to find out how much in the hole he would be after after the divorce proceedings are over with? To have an idea, a ballpark figure. Now, that's a hard question to ask someone. So you want him to talk, and don't shut him down talking about TMI. A lot of women, they get in trouble all the time with that. Oh, this TMI, that's too much information. The very information you're ignoring is the very information that's going to bite you in the ass later on. So it's best to listen Pick up on certain things he may drop that he may tell you. Is he going to have to pay alimony to this woman? They don't have any children together, what you stated in the email. So there's a good possibility that they acquired a lot of community property together. So if you're a material girl and you're interested in having a house and all that stuff, you might want to put that on the back burner because what that means is that more than likely they're probably going to have to share, they're going to have to sell the property or have the property or the assets divided. But at least he's telling you up front what's going on with him. That is a good sign because that honesty and integrity coming up front is not a bad thing. Most people run away from things like that since they hear something. Here is the problem. A lot of people would rather get into the relationship emotionally first and then find out the specifics after they got into it. It's just like going to a dealership and buying a car and because they have certified on the window of it that it's been thoroughly checked out. Doesn't mean crap. Their certification process, they could show you all the examples and everything. That's all well and good. 
But what you got to look at is to pull things such as the Carfax report from the original sale of the vehicle when it was brand new until now. You would do the same parallel, the same thing in the relationship. You want to find out these things. And then let him know, set the expectations up front. Hey, right now we're not going to date because you're still married. After the divorce decree is signed and official, then yes, we can start doing our thing. We can still go out and still get to know each other as friends. But as far as the relationship, I'm going to save my emotional capital until afterwards. Because the one thing you want to do is to see him follow through on that. That will solidify his integrity. If he says he's going through a divorce, another thing I would also tell you, the wait time. Get an idea of how long he's talking about having you wait. Some divorces will take years to settle. I wouldn't recommend you hanging around that long. Have a time time set for yourself. No two-year wait period, no one-year wait period. It should be, at the most, a matter of months. That's it. No more. I usually don't go any more than six months with any kind of complications. But I don't date you know, like that, but it's up to you. But I would recommend, seriously, that you look at your options. Meanwhile, you're not in any rush to meet somebody. You're not any, in any rush to date with someone. So right now, you're just playing it by ear with him. He's a good person to be around. We classify him as a friend. So in that way, you've already set his expectations so he knows he has to work for you. He has to convince you. He has to show you what he's doing. And it's not just something where you're just wasting time. Because see, what a lot of these folks will do, these married people especially, they will go and present you documents and tell you these things, and they're actually not filing anything. There was a lady one time that sent me a copy of her so-called divorce decree. It was only one problem. There was no case number on it, no calendar date, nothing, but just her signature at the bottom found out she wasn't divorcing her husband. She couldn't because she was tied to his medical benefits through the VA and through the military. He had retired, and he wasn't going anywhere. They were separated. But she lied to me in the initial stages and told me she was single. I looked up online and found out she was married. And once I did that, she tried to prove to me that she was filing for divorce which she never did. Those papers went nowhere. Just to hold up my time to try to get me to date her while she was still married. I wouldn't enter that. So you have to be careful because a lot of these people are in bad relationships, bad marriages, and they want some sort of relief and they don't care what they have to go through to get it. They want that in particular. And remember, Being that this person that you're going to be with is already selfish by going out and going for themselves for that relationship, what do you think you're going to have when you get in a relationship with that person? 
the same characteristics that you're going to be dealing with now. So I hope that he's, you know, following through with his integrity and everything. And here's another thing I would advise you of strongly. Being that he's been married twice, be very slow before you talk about going to the altar with him. If he's trying to get you to the altar out of convenience, slow it down a bit. Smell the roses. See some of the things that you would have to observe before you make the decision. Because he may be in a rush just to go on and do it. You don't, you're not at that point. Your hair is not on fire like that. So take your time. Use good judgment. Hold him accountable for what he tells you. Because, see, if he's legit, he's going to do everything he's told you. If he's not, he's going to fail. Don't accept that. Hold him accountable. Well, you know, I was thinking about filing the papers, but, you know, uh, I'm going to get to it. We're going to divorce. But let's go out and have a drink. Let's go out and... No, you don't want to start doing that. Uh Uh-uh. You want to keep him focused on what he's supposed to do. Because he needs to come to you to correct now if he's going to be with you. When you start lowering your standards like that, trust me, you lower yourself. Best of luck to you. I sent you the link to the show. Hope I can have you on as a guest. Take care. More in a moment, folks. All right, let's go back into the mailbag from Susan out of Little Rock, Arkansas. I don't know what makes you think that you're a guru or some kind of dating coach. Who the fuck are you anyway? Who's listening to you? I doubt if anybody is. You're probably talking to yourself. People like you make me sick. I listened to this guy on YouTube and he led me into a horrible relationship. I had paid this guy a whole bunch of money to his seminars or his books and it led to nothing. You guys need to shut the fuck up, shut down your shows, and go do something else. I'm so sick of you. Guys make me sick. Three marriages, listening to you dating coaches, reading these self-help books, it's all a bunch of bullshit. It's a bunch of psychobabble, and this is the reason why most people are confused. I think you guys are the problem, not the people that have the problem. My opinion only, Susie. Little Rock, Arkansas. Well, Susie, I'm glad you're upset. You should be, because the decisions you made caused you to feel the way you do. I didn't do it. My show didn't do it. I didn't make the money from you from you buying books. I didn't make the money from you attending seminars. You did that yourself. So the only person you can really be mad at, Susan, is yourself. You perpetrated this anger. Nobody else did. I'm calm. My listeners have no problem. They're intelligent enough to decipher what they can use in their lives and what they don't need. I'm not trying to sell them anything. I talk about things. 
situations and relationships, conditions you have to deal with people, thinking before you love. See, you're a reactionary. I could tell just by the way you wrote this email. You're one of these people that get pissed off, get emotional first, and then start becoming logical later. See, now you're logical, even though you're angry, because of what has happened. You got ripped off from listening to these other folks, buying these books, going to these seminars, and all the rest of that. Thinking is free. Critical thinking is 100% free. The only thing you have to do is use your mind. That's it. But see, you're led so much by emotions that you fired out this email to me after hearing the podcast. Whether you listen to me or not is not going to impact the show at all. I've given you your 15 seconds of fame by acknowledging your email. Unlike many other shows, I read them. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be podcasts all the time, but in this case, I wanted to make my point with this. Folks, this is exactly what the end result is when you've been leading your life through emotions. Especially decisions you make when it comes to relationships. This is how you end up angry. I mean, just living. And this is not the first, second, third, fourth, fifth. It's about the 150th email I've gotten like this since I've been doing the podcast. Because what happens, they expect someone to have a magic bullet and to take out all the bones in the fish and they're just supposed to go follow these steps and everything is supposed to be so wonderful. Birds are supposed to be chirping. They're supposed to go across this field of daisies. It doesn't happen that way. Relationships take work. There is no magic potion. Just because your parents and grandparents stayed together for 40 or 50 years, it took work. But what we look at is the result. Oh, they're celebrating their 40th anniversary. But if you sat down and talked to them individually and talked to them about how much work they had to go through in order to get to where they are, it's a whole different picture. You want the benefit, you want to cherry pick. Maybe if you're listening to some of the podcasts, you'll probably understand you won't be so upset. All anger is self-directed. What we try to do is externalize it to make ourselves feel better. We go through those three things, blame, shame, and guilt. Every time. Never fails. And we don't want to face that blame, shame, and guilt when it pertains to us. We like to project it on others to make them feel like we would. Analogy I always use, stay out at, you stay out too late on a Sunday night, had too much to drink, alarm clock goes off, you're supposed to be at work at 8 o'clock, you look there, it's 9.45, you're calling in, you hate to do that, you get in your car, and you're scrambling to work, and you're mad at the person because they're real slow driving off the off-ramp, and you're mad at them, calling them a jerk, a jackass, and a fool, honking the horn, when you actually should be doing that to yourself. Because you're the one that made yourself late. 
And so you blame the person. And as you pass by them, you call them an old geezer or something like that, trying to shame them. Of course, they can't hear you. Might roll down the window and say something provocative. Hey, get out of the way. You're driving too slow. Trying to project that guilt on that person for the speed they're driving. When in actuality, you're the one that's over the speed limit. You're the one that's damn near running them off the road. Owning your own responsibilities. This is what you need to do, Susan. Take a look at yourself first before you go and point the finger at others. All right. Let's see here. Jill writes the following. I'm a 45-year-old mother of three. I'm happy. I'm horny. And more so than anything, I think I'm hopeless. Every man that I've met so far, things went well until I told him I had three teenage daughters. They run for the hills. My daughters are very nice kids. I've reared them in a way where they're respectful, they're honest, and they're just good kids. And I don't say that because they're my children. I say that because I made sure that I took time out with them, nurtured them, showed them the proper way in life, showed them how to behave. But for some reason, since my divorce, every man that I've met, as soon as they saw the kids, they ran for the hills. I'm wondering why. One is 16 and two of them are 15. I had twins. I would love to hear an answer on this. Thank you so much. Love your show. We'll continue to listen. Jill, let me tell you what's going on. It's what I warn men about a lot. And it's a reality and it's an unsaid rule. A lot of men do not like dealing with women who have teenage kids. A couple of things that come up right off the bat. One, they've already developed the personality that they're going to take into adulthood. So if there are any flaws or any things that may be so obviously wrong with them, these guys are not going to hang around to try to correct it. Some women who have sons want the guy to come in and be the new sheriff in town. That's not his job. The work has already been done. If you are a parent and you have a man and you expect that man to come in and try to straighten out your teenage son, please. You got another thing coming. That's not his job. And when you start doing that, you fall in line with those women who have the children and don't want to be around them. They just want the teachers to babysit them during the day, your parents to babysit them while you're at work, and the only time you're really interacting with them is maybe at the park on the weekend or else putting them to bed at night. You don't want to fall into that category. Now, Jill, in your situation, 
it's that and it's also the probability of the guy going in and possibly being accused of something with your daughters. I would recommend, and it's just my perspective only, not a rule, not a law, that you find someone who's divorced like yourself, who has children near their age group. It would make it a little bit easier because this person would already be familiar with dealing with teenagers and they would know the behavioral patterns of many of them. Getting a single man or a divorced man or a man who's already had children and they're grown and gone, he will have that experience, but he may not want to undertake that again. He may have had hell with his kids and he's like, well, you know, I don't know if I want to do this. And then you have the guys that are voluntarily taking themselves out of the equation because there may be some temptation there. So it's going to be difficult. But usually the main reason is they're already set in their ways going into adulthood. So he has nothing to contribute to them as he may see in that they may learn a few things from him, but for the most part, he's irrelevant. And he's also looking at the fact that he has four people that will come before him in the relationship. Those three and you. He'd be the fourth wheel. This is the reason why a lot of women will wait until after their kids are 18 or so and then start dating again. Because at that point, they don't have to worry about that as much because they're usually getting ready to go to college, military, or some other sort. So I know it's tough, and I know you're lonely, and I know you're horny, but, you know, you can still date. But I don't think that you're going to find a guy that's going to be willing to take on that. You may find someone, don't get me wrong, but it's going to be difficult as you've already experienced. And those are some of the reasons why it's so difficult for you. Okay, let's see, Michael. Let's see, Michael is out of El Paso, Texas. I'm Hispanic and I'm finding it very difficult to deal with my girlfriend who is white. She and I don't have the problem, but her family does with me. Every time I come over to visit, I catch hell. We get the Mexican jokes. I get the taco jokes, the burrito jokes. And she never, ever tries to defend me. She just chuckles and says, my family's crazy. At first, I thought it was just something where it would be a joke or two in the beginning. But now, the jokes are getting more intense. They're talking about illegal immigration, asking me things such as if anybody in my family is undocumented. My whole family line has been in Texas ever since I can remember, from my great-grandmother all the way back. I feel insulted. I'm 24 years old, and I shouldn't have to put up with this. I love her, and when we were together, 
It's a whole different world. But when I'm around her family, oh my God, it's hell to pay. My family loves her. They treat her like one of us. Occasionally she'll say something that's rather very awkward. Something like, I'm not Mexican, so I wouldn't know how to do that. We've been together for two years and it's been a tough two years. And I'm just wondering if I could go on with this because right now I'm at a point where I'm thinking about walking away from her. She's very close to her family. I mean, as I see it, there is no way in the world that I could separate her from them. And some of their ideologies still resonate with her. I found out recently that she had voted for Trump. I voted for Biden. Didn't set well with me. And I'm noticing now that she's coming in with some of the philosophies that her daddy has kind of imposed on her. I would greatly appreciate your input. Michael, El Paso, Texas. Michael, what you're seeing now is her true colors. She's letting down her hair. In the initial stages of the relationship, she was probably trying to impress you because she probably was a novelty to her. Now that you're with her, you're just like a fixture in the house. You're a piece of furniture. And what she's going to do is echo those sentiments of her family because it's all she knows. And so therefore your relationship is going to become a victim of that routine that she's accustomed to. You're not going to be able to convert her back. You're not going to be able to change her mind. If anything, what she's going to try to do is bring you over to more over to her side and make you, in a sense, disown some of the things that define you. Which means you will be in an identity crisis at some point. Because you're not going to be accepted fully by her side of the family. But it may also cause you to alienate yourself from your family. And the primary problem is the both of you may have too much family involvement in your relationship in general. You say that she behaves okay when the two of you are together, which means she doesn't have to put on that show. Maybe the two of you being together may be the solution. And maybe she needs to grow up and take the training wheels off of her family where she can think for herself for a change. You guys may want to have a heart-to-heart about that. And if she becomes very defensive, that's your answer. It's not going to get any better from this point forward. Because now she's in that comfort zone where she could be herself. You remember, folks, when I talk about the X factor in a relationship. Character, behavior, situation, and then the X factor. Well, it seems like you already know where everything's going. Her character has been mainly defined and influenced by her parents. 
Her behavior now, you're starting to see it come out. The situation she's in with you is indicative of where she wanted to be in a dominant position with a minority. And the situation that you're facing is her letting her hair down, reasserting herself as being that person that you crave more so than her craving you because of the social structure we have in America. The only way this is going to work, both of you have to start from scratch together away from your families. I'm telling you. If not, you're going to have that tug of war. You're already experiencing some of the turbulence, but it's going to get worse later on. The jokes are going to get worse, and then eventually she'll get to a point of cracking the jokes with her family and cracking the jokes with you personally and cracking those jokes with you when you guys are together by yourselves. Your tolerance was their acceptance, and now that is the norm. More in a minute, folks. Let's see what we have from Gloria out of Pensacola, Florida. My daughter was out with her boyfriend the other evening, and we only have one computer in the home. It's a desktop computer that sits in the living room. I decided to go and try to search for something last night. And while I was there, I noticed Google Photos were open. Apparently, my daughter was the last one that used Google Photos. She's staying at home right now. She's almost done with college. And then she'll be on her merry way into adulthood at 23 years of age. Thank goodness. She's the last one to get out of the house. She can join her two brothers wherever, LOL. I just want them gone. Out of curiosity, I just examined some of the photos. I remember one of her girlfriends getting married this past summer. As I scrolled down, there were lovely wedding pictures. I was really, really impressed. Even though I didn't attend, I heard it was a wonderful event. When I got to the second group of photos, however, things were a little bit different. The bachelorette party my daughter, and this girl. I was kind of uncomfortable scrolling down, seeing them kissing and fondling each other. Then I saw the real pics. Full-blown sex with the strippers. I could never look at my daughter the same after seeing these. The more I scrolled down, the worse it got. 
And those two weren't the only ones. There were other women there. It was more or less like an orgy. I wanted to make sure that I had copies of these photos. So what I chose to do was to email as many of them to myself as possible. Then I closed Google Photos. I knew there was a good possibility that my daughter would find out. She's tech savvy, but not that tech savvy. I knew a little bit more than her. So I made sure that it was not to be traced. I got on my phone and I received the photos. I was debating whether or not I should show it to her father. He and I have been divorced now for almost eight years. And I don't want to really stir up a harness nest with him. Our divorce was very volatile and messy. I'm just thinking now, how should I approach this or should I approach this at all? God forbid these photos ever get out in the public. Her career, her life, her future will be ruined. I had the mindset to delete all of them while I had the opportunity, being that she was still logged in her account. But I chose not to. Any ideas on what I should say about this to her? I do have to say something. I'm just that kind of woman. Gloria, what I would tell you is this. Uh, you may want to take her in, to the side and explain to her that how important reputations are. You might want to explain to her about the five things that she needs to protect throughout her lifetime. Her freedom, her wealth, her mobility, her decision-making skills, and her reputation. Now, apparently she didn't do anything illegal on there, hopefully. But what you want to explain to her is the value of her reputation. And then you could inform her that, hey, I saw those photos. You need to get rid of those. And explain to her how you found out. Now, she'll probably be defensive and said you had no business snooping, but being that that computer is in an open space in the house and other people use it apparently, what if you had guests over? Somebody needed to use the computer. Yeah, you need to have that talk with her. But you need to frame it from the standpoint of her protecting her brand and reputation. Because you're right. Those photos get out. It can be very damaging. Without a doubt. The question that I would ask is, one who took them? To why? Because... If someone is taking those photos besides your daughter, apparently they had to for her to be in it with these guys or with whomever. It means that somebody has a copy. And you might want to talk to her about who has the original photos. 
because that right there can work against her in so many ways. She has a falling out with that person. They could go and put on Pornhub or somewhere. She's screwed. Reputation is done. Just something for you to think about. I wish you the best and would love to have you on the show as a guest. I sent you the link. If you want to, you can have your daughter on the show as well. We could talk about it. Take care. Now what I don't get, I don't get how you gonna tell me you ain't gonna cook me breakfast this morning because you got too much stuff to do. But, but do I say that when it's time to pay the bill? Do I say that when you talking about cash out me money? Do I say that when you talking about you need your hair and nail? Hell no, nah, I don't say So what you gonna do, you gonna get in that damn kitchen and you gonna cook me some damn breakfast and I ain't gonna say no damn more. No, I can't talk to her like that. Hell no, she ain't no, hell no, damn that. Some of you may remember when I would always say, whatever is acceptable as far as tolerance for you over a period of time, the person who is doing something that either triggers you or they're trying to in some way control you or they're trying to impose something on you that was not part of the understanding when you start the relationship you must remember once you tolerate it over an extended period of time that individual will think of it as you're accepting it and they will use that very same thing to throw in your face later on to make you feel guilty again They could blame you for their actions, shame you for pointing the finger at them, and make you feel guilty and expecting an apology from you because you pointed something out that was true and valid. But what they're going to try to do is to make it seem as though you have attacked them for no justification. Now, that means that they would have to be accountable for what they do. They made a promise that they were not going to smoke in the relationship, for instance. You catch them smoking. And once that happens, then that individual, of course, becomes very defensive. And then they withdraw. Try to make you feel guilty by blaming you for it. I'm not perfect. That's to avoid the blame. You're not perfect either. That's to project the shame. Don't judge me. After all, you ought to be shame of yourself for judging me on something like this. You knew when I went into the relationship that I was not a smoker. Even though the person was, but may have put on their profile, they weren't. And so you go on and you say, okay, whatever. Well, that whatever is validation for them to say, 
so I can smoke in the relationship. Now, even though you're sitting there and you're frustrated, kind of upset by it, if you ever have another disagreement, that person can trigger you by saying, yeah, and you accuse me of something that I did. You treated me like crap when I was smoking. And even though I put on my profile that I didn't smoke, you still shouldn't judge me that harshly. You shouldn't judge me that way. I'm just using this as an example. It could be anything beyond this. It could be credit cards. It could be a whole host of things. The thing is, what you catch them in, of course, is them being hypocrites. And when you call them on it, they become defensive, and then they do this. And this goes through a plethora of things that people will use this strategy for. Because I will tell you, one of the hardest things in relationships is getting past the manipulation. Both men and women do this. Now, here's the thing. You also have to understand that with this kind of person, you chose this individual. So what you're going to be dealing with is a situation where you're going to have to make more and more of these exceptions to your boundaries and rules. Now, a person who has very solid boundaries, they're going to call it and they could terminate the relationship, request or require that the person get some kind of rehabilitation before you go forward and stand your ground on that. See, most people get in trouble is when they lower their boundaries. That's where you get in trouble. Because, see, what that person wants to do then is have you question your own boundaries. They want you to rethink things. Now, here's the thing. When that person triggers you to start an argument, understand a couple of things with that. They're doing this a lot of times for ulterior motives, especially when they're doing it out of the blue. You guys are getting along, you're having a wonderful time, and this person may bring something up from the past. Here's what you need to look for when that happens. First thing, are they trying to get away from you for an extended period of time? Sometimes people will go and start an argument just so they could buy them enough time in order to get away from you and see someone else. People use this tactic a lot when it comes to cheating. When it comes to something also that they may want from you in the future, and they know that you want the, that they, you know that they want a certain thing, and they'll hold out. Because, see, one thing you have to remember about relationships, people will use absence as leverage and as punishment. I always tell you, females get emotionally abandoned from men, men get exiled from women. And that's the fear for both genders. Because the thing is, once that happens, it starts to work on your self-esteem. It starts promoting all the three things I told you about, blame, shame, guilt. 
it goes on down the list. So when you come back to that person, that person's more willing to compromise. They're more willing to do whatever needs to be done. And this is not a healthy or good tactic. Because after a while, that person's going to get tired. And that person more than likely is going to seek out someone that's more supportive. And if the right person gets that person's ear, your relationship is over. You're just coexisting in a situation that you really don't know where it's going to go. Now, another thing too, reactions. Even before you get angry, take about 30 seconds. Literally, as soon as you hit that trigger, as soon as something pisses you off in the relationship, give yourself 30 seconds, count in your head, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. See, during this time, your is going to still try to escalate the situation because they're getting all of their emotions out. It's the equivalent of being a customer service manager listening to an irate customer. And after that period has passed, in a very low tone, say, why don't we sit down and talk about this or schedule a time to talk about this? when we both are a little bit more calmer. What you're doing is you're denying your partner that visceral response because that's what they want. They want to pick a fight. You're denying them that opportunity because there's a good possibility there's something that you may say or may do that is irreparable. So by doing this, what you've done now you've actually taken over the conversation and taken the power away from the person. This is what real men do with women a lot. And the reason why we do this is because she can act out. She can go anywhere and act out. She can call us names. She could say anything she wants. Society will forgive her for that. That's just the way our society is structured. Now, if a man is irate and goes off on a woman, she's looked upon as a victim even though she's in the wrong she's still looked upon as a victim by the larger swath of society now how does this matter take for instance an argument ensues they hear the man's thundering loud voice neighbors hear that they call 911 they hear the woman complaining it's going to take a while before they call they'll probably get tired of hearing her voice with a man, they're thinking that violence is going to ensue soon. So they'll be more, they'll be quicker to call 911 on the man. And they, it could be no physical confrontation whatsoever, just verbal. And women have a sorority of sorts where they support each other. So if they saw a man and a woman arguing, these women are going to take the side of the woman whether she's right or, wrong, right or wrong in many cases. They don't care. They identify with her gender. And provided that these women have had other experiences with men, this is a good opportunity for them to vent. Now, is it fair? No. Is it right? No. Are there exceptions? Yes. But usually this is what will occur. Now, another thing too about this. You walk away. 
after you've done the 30 seconds, and you either want to talk about it at that time because you're giving your partner the opportunity to talk about it in a simple way. And if that partner cannot do that and they're still yelling and cursing, this is when men walk away. And unfortunately for many of you ladies, this is when you guys make the mistake. The best thing to do is to let him go. Let him get away from you. Talk about it later. So in that way, what's happened by you guys talking about it later, you're calmer. You guys can actually communicate effectively. You can be considerate of everyone's feelings. And you can work things out a lot more logically than you could by yelling at each other at the top of your lungs. This is what you have to do in order to work in relationships. Now, a lot of people don't like doing this because they're looking for a turnkey situation. And that can be very difficult to find because we're conditioned in a way to sometimes be more permissive than we should be. Some things go along, some things happen in a relationship, we ignore them. We tell ourselves that things are going to be better. We've addressed it once or twice with our partner. And that partner still that part that problem still exists. The one thing to never do, folks, never point at the partner as the problem. Look at the behavior. And what you could do is point out some of the things in their character that goes with the behavior that leads to the situation you may be in. You don't want to vilify the partner because it, eventually they're going to become very defensive and they're going to take it as a personal attack. Personal attacks are never good in relationships because what will happen at that point, it will give the person the incentive to hurt you personally. I don't mean physically, I mean emotionally. Because that's all these arguments are usually about once they get past the logical reasoning of the dispute and goes beyond that to personal attacks. And this is when people bring in things that are totally irrelevant to the initial argument in order to, again, foster blame, shame, and guilt. And the problem is a lot of people don't have boundaries when it comes down to that, and you should establish boundaries, the two of you, as far as certain things you don't bring up that will hurt that person. A lot of couples don't do that. They'll get pissed and they'll just try to rip the heart out of that other individual. I'll never forget, we were at um, a mall, I think it was in Beverly Wood, California, somewhere out there. And there was this couple and they were arguing. They had gone shopping, both of them had shopping bags, and they were loaded to the brim. And the husband was walking, I guess it was her husband, and she was walking. 
And she said, I can't believe you bought that. You know, we can't afford that. And she was going off on him about something he had purchased. And then he came back about her shoes and the purses she bought and those kind of things. And they were walking to the car. So he unlocked her door. She got in, slammed it real hard. And he got in. At that time, I just pulled up and I was getting out of my car. And I heard them arguing when I first parked. Well, they rolled down the windows because it was very hot that day. And he told her, he said, you should be thankful I'm still with your dying ass because you have breast cancer. It's not my fault. It broke this woman down and she slammed her hand on the dashboard and said, how could you say something like that to me? He put the car in reverse and drove off. You see, folks, people, when things escalate like that, people can go for the jugular. Both men and women do this to each other. I had a friend of mine he and his girlfriend had an argument one night. We were out at this venue. And in front of her girlfriends, in front of all of us, our friends, she told him that he had ED. He couldn't get it up. He couldn't eat pussy that well. I mean, she dragged him over the ground with it. He was hurt. He was hurt. He left. We had to give her a ride home, my girlfriend and I. And my girlfriend talked to her and told her that was wrong. And she was like, well, you know, he made me mad. And that was her justification. And what was it over? It was over. They had the Long Beach Jazz Festival that was coming up, I think the following week or so, and she wanted to go. Well, he didn't have the money to go. And she was pissed off with him about that. Something simple that escalated to that level. Because she was used to being pampered and having everything her way. I listened to my girlfriend and her talk back and forth. My girlfriend was on the front seat. She was on the back seat. And it made me sick to my stomach to hear how entitled she was a person who had no job at the time. Her boyfriend took care of everything for her, helped her with a car payment and all the rest of those things. And he surely cut her off and didn't deal with her anymore. But that was a hurt that he couldn't recover from. So you have to measure what you say, how you say it. Because we always talk about relationships, communications, that's all you gotta have. No, you gotta have consideration. How you deliver the message and the content of the message. You gotta know your audience. If you don't, you will pay the price severely. But you do the emotional damage to that partner, things won't be the same in that relationship no matter how you try to fix it. You can go to therapy or anything else. 
once you have done certain things in that relationship and one of them is going past the boundary that is way off limits you will never be able to recover even though that person forgives you they don't forget and if that relationship doesn't last that thing that you have done to them is never going to be resolved for them. One moment. to get my attention to go on a date it's really important to know the woman that you're asking I am a very old-fashioned and traditional woman so I'm part of a generation where we made effort so I'm from Centerville Illinois I'm in my 40s raised by my grandparents I was taught to respect and honor men men were taught to respect and value women and they would make plans with each other you know um, so I like a man that has intention, like, hey, Maxwell's coming in town. Let's check it out. Or there's a new winery not too far. Would you mind or want to go over there for the weekend? You know, I like to get cute, get dressed up, put some heels on, you know, have my hair done and spray on some perfume. I like the anticipation. I like to make you something, whether you like apple pie, peach cobbler, cookies, Rice Krispies. Greet you with a big hug and a smile and have a great time uh, getting to know each other. Why do women ask for honesty from men and yet they lie to men? Why do men lie to women? Ladies, it's a reciprocal process. If a man finds out that you're a hypocrite at some point by lying to him or telling him something and then he finds out the opposite is true about you, at that point, he's devalued you. It doesn't mean you're less of a person. They have lower expectations of you. So therefore, you don't measure up to their standard of integrity. You do this with men all the time, lady. Many of you will say, oh, he's not honest, he's a liar. That's the first thing you go for. And therefore, if the guy isn't honest, and he did lie to you, you have justification to not date him. Makes sense. But here's the thing. You may hold that man to a higher standard than you can actually provide yourself. That's not a healthy relationship. That's not a healthy start. Now, how is this so? Take for instance, you met on a dating site. And the two of you have started talking, and you're asking him to close his account on the site, remove his profile. And meanwhile, while he's doing all of this, and he doesn't, you, in other words, choose not to do so. And you take those relationships you established, and you take them offline. 
So now this person can text you. They can communicate with you. They can email you. Unbeknownst to him. Even though you ask for honesty from him, he's looking at you, not from lying to him or deceiving him. He's looking from you as a lacking integrity once he finds out. Therefore, you will never be trusted by him. And see, what men do a lot of times in order to please and appease women, they will comply with those demands for that honesty. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the woman has to be honest with him. She could be a hypocrite. But the problem, and this is what many men trip up, they accept that hypocrisy. First, they tolerate it. But women will look at that as, well, he accepted it, so it's part of the norm for our relationship now. Once that happens, she always has something to throw in his face. Well, you accept it, so what if I'm communicating with other men? You accept it. That's the argument. It's an invalid argument, but it's an argument. Now, here's the thing you have to keep in mind. And the reason why it's invalid, just for those of you, is because it's implied that if he's doing something, that she's already measured up to that standard. Doesn't necessarily mean it's true unless you guys meet this thing out. Because you have some people that operate on technicalities when it comes to relationships. She may tell the guy, I don't want you around any women. I want you hugging, kissing, or anyone else. What she's doing then is she's projecting those insecurities and those fears onto him. I have these fears, but what I want you to do is to modify your behavior. Not from this thing that they love to package as respect, but from this thing that's packaged that's called insecurity, vulnerability, fear. Because that's all it is. So in essence, when she tells a man this, she's telling him she doesn't trust him initially. She doesn't trust his judgment. She doesn't trust his integrity. And so she's establishing justification to leave the relationship in the event any of those things are suspected by her. It doesn't necessarily have to be true. It don't have to be valid. You know there are more people that in relationships on the suspicion of cheating and infidelity than those that actually get caught in the act. A lot of times it has to do with the person that's looking for an exit strategy from the relationship. Accusing someone of something is the easiest way out. I was listening to an interaction online with uh, a gentleman that had recorded an audio conversation with he and his girlfriend. And what had happened, he had caught his girlfriend in a lie. She had gone out, slept with an ex-boyfriend, 
lied about it. The ex-boyfriend had evidence to prove that she was caught in his phone, pictures, text messages. So he had a pretty legit thing going on. He just wanted to hit it and quit it. He didn't want to have a relationship with her. But she became very possessive. Now, this ex-boyfriend had dated her before, of course, and this was the reason why he left her was because she was like this. The new boyfriend had no knowledge of what was going on, so the old boyfriend thought the best way to get rid of her is to contact the new boyfriend and inform him of what was going on, which he did. The new boyfriend started recording their conversations. And she called him and told him that she was going to spread a rumor on Facebook and on social media about him being a pedophile. Even though she had no evidence. She said the only thing I had to do was say it. And that's enough to ruin your career and to ruin your life. And she talked about how they would believe her because she had so many followers over him. And he was telling her, you know, that's illegal. You know, I'll take you to court on it, etc., etc. And she didn't care. Because the one thing that she wanted to convey to him was he had hurt her. He hurt her by breaking up with her. He found out she had cheated. Again, she felt as though she was entitled. There are some people who, when they establish a relationship, they actually believe that they could behave any kind of way within it. see a lot of people who are quote-unquote married but single. That's because after they get married, they think they can act out like they're single. And they do it on a regular basis. And what we have to come to grips with is that's not the case. You're making a commitment. But some people don't know how to do that. We operate on the assumption that everybody has the same norm, that everybody has the same understanding. When I worked on project management, we used to create a dictionary for terminology that we would use in developing a project so that everybody was on the same page with the same vernacular. With relationships, couples should do the same because What happens if you don't? Misinterpretations will abound. As I give you examples, open relationships are a prime example. The limitations of them, how they're established, what they mean, what they convey, and what they do. Again, boundaries. That's one term that you will hear from me for the rest of the time I do podcasts. I can't can't tell you how important and essential those things are. Because without them, you have chaos. Your relationship would be just like January 6th at the Capitol building. Chaos. Without those boundaries.
I have seen couples that were trying to start up have issues with the interpretations of cheating, as an example. The lady considered cheating interacting with any other woman, period. Every female would have to go through her to talk to him, including friends that he's known for years. He interpreted from the standpoint of being intimate with someone. She considered kissing, cheating. She considered interacting with another female in general as cheating. So you guys have to establish those boundaries up front for the relationship. Like I said, you have your personal boundaries when you get in it. And within that container, your partner has theirs. But overall, the fence around both of your boundaries is the relationship boundaries. Because you have to protect that as well. And the integrity of it. Now, the other thing to keep in mind, there are people who get in relationships just to test the boundaries and rules. They're going for the experience. They're not going for love. The only thing they're going for is the experience. So, they get with a person. They go through the this, that, and the third with them. But they actually have no intentions of really growing with that person. The only thing they're looking at is how they can benefit from it. You'll find a lot of people who are reactionaries that get in these relationships. They love to go in and they deliberately become the provocateur. You know, like people that are kind of over the top, we'll say like radio show hosts, how they would always come out with outlandish uh, assertions. And they do that to get ratings and attention. And this person operates on that premise in relationships. They go to get attention. And then when they have stirred up the pot and got that attention, they try to test the boundaries of that relationship. Because by testing those boundaries, that gives them more attention from their partner. These are the people who actually use relationships as a form of entertainment. They play around in them. They're not serious. They don't look at it from the standpoint of being with someone that they can build a life with. What they see instead is just a time to have fun. Fellas, this is the reason why I tell you, don't deal with party girls as far as spending money on them. They're part of the furniture. They are not people that you're going to take home. It doesn't demean them. It does, they're not lower than anyone else. But what this does mean is that they're out just to have a good time. Whether it's you or somebody else, they don't care. 
having a good time is more important than who you are. Because they're going for the experience, they're not going for you. It's just like these people that are curiosity seekers when it comes to sex. People of different races, sizes, age groups, classes, you name it. What they're going for is the experience. Not for you, they're not going for the love. That's irrelevant. They're going for the experience. And this is what you deal with, with these kind of people. The expectations for a party girl should be very low, as well as how much money you spend on these women. They're not looking for a relationship. They're looking to have fun. And they let you know that. The red flag is when they say, they might run an ad and they say, yeah, well, you know, I'm looking for a relationship, blah, 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 blah. And then they may have something in the bio that says, full-time party girl, or something to the effect of not looking for anything serious. That right there kind of gives you a heads up. That's what you're getting into. So what that means is, if they're not serious about themselves, how can you take them seriously? So what you don't do is spend a lot of money on them. 40 bucks, fellas, that's it. $40, max. Save your resources for someone who's worth the investment, not someone who's about the expense. That's what you have to do. Now, in closing, let me tell you something. I want you to understand one thing. In every situation, every person you meet, you got to deal with a different set of dynamics. But what you have to understand is you can meet, learn, and appreciate these people for their attributes and for their flaws. But one thing you don't want to do is to make them exempt of their responsibilities. If you see something that is not up to par, it's up to you to control your interaction with that person. It's up to you to control the magnitude of that relationship with that person on your side of the equation. And then you start to realize that you cannot mix friends and you're going to have to have a social strata. And don't be ashamed to do it. Some of you are. Some of you feel as though you're discriminating by having a certain group of friends at one level and another group of friends at the other. Sometimes their personalities will never mix, will always clash. And you'll be the conduit. Don't put yourself in that position. Some people, you're going to have to leave on different strata as you meet them which means there's some that are relationship material, some that are just casual friends with benefits material, and it goes down the line. So in that way, it avoids a lot of the confusion. And also with that, you have to treat the perspective of them, convey it to them so they'll know. Yeah, we're friends with benefits. Yep, that's right. 
and let them know, hey, well, that means there'll be no future relationship beyond sex and casual interaction. So that person knows, okay, we're never going to get serious. By establishing these things up front, it helps you as opposed to them where they are misinterpreting something or over-interpreting something. You want to be clear. That's going to help you in the end. Take care, folks. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.